KT, have you noticed that interest rates long-term are starting to go down little by little? Yeah, what are we going to do about it? I tell you what I think everybody should do about it. You should go to myalliant.com and take advantage of the one-year to 17-month certificate of deposit. They're currently paying 5.15% or 5.20% for amounts of $75,000 or more. Tell them one more time, KT, where they should go. Go to myalliant.com today. Now you know. December 2nd, 2021. Good morning, Miss Travis. Wait, Susie, it's December already. Do I you know, believe it? Yes. It's the end of 2021. Yes, but wait, I have to tell you how proud I am that you and Colo caught that one wahoo last Sunday. Oh my God, Katie. What, do they know why you were proud it was the tournament? Yes, I've told them. Oh, well, the tournament, it was a tough day, everybody. So happy I didn't go out. Oh, she couldn't have gone out. I'm sorry, I went out. It was a really, really, really tough Somebody wrote in and they said, well, how little is your boat that it was so rough out there? Our boat is 32 feet, but when it's rough in these oceans, you can be in a boat that's 50 or 60 feet. And the people came in and they said, oh my God, it's so rough out there. And even the real big fishing yachts, they didn't catch anything. Yes. It was really tough to, to fish. So most people caught nothing. They were lucky if they cost, caught one. The winners went 40 miles and they each caught six. But for our boat to go 40 miles one way and then 40 miles another, impossible impossible in those conditions. conditions. But I just want to tell everybody and you how proud I am of you. We just wanted to be good sports and we did it. But you've become such a great fisherman. Or is it a fisherwoman? What is it? It's a, I'm really good at fishing. <laughs> okay, <laughs> right, sweetheart. Let's get started because I've got a whole lot of uh, questions. But let me and- tell everybody what today is. December 2nd. Besides that, I already told them that. Today is Ask Susie Ann. KT. Anything. And if those of you who are listening would like to write a question, just go to asksusiepodcast at gmail.com and send in your question. And if chosen, we will answer it on this podcast. And again, you never know when I will answer you directly. And Susie, you're sounding much better, by oh the way. Oh my God. She's had a really stuffed nose. and Horrible cold oh, I have. Bad cold. I don't even We're- know how I got it. We're healing her, and she's just, her nose has been like, she can't breathe, everybody. <laughs> so, so Alexis, I'm do more- wait, 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 but let me just say, Alexis, who is my niece in Santa Barbara, has been writing, I'm so worried, does she have a cold? Yes, I have a cold, sweetheart, I'm fine. She's fine. Don't worry about it. All right. All right, Katie, what's the first okay, question? Okay, first is from Victoria, and this, this is, I'm starting with this because this, again, 
this email made me mad and sad at the same time. And Susie, I don't think she can do anything about it, but you're the expert. Says, hello, I have a question about my daughter. Her boyfriend wanted to buy a house. Right there is when I started getting mad, Susie. Because yeah, the did. question, everybody, is you're listening to this, but did the daughter want to buy the house? He did. Wait, wait, or wait. just me, the boyfriend. All right, go on. But the, the point is he did not qualify for a loan because he did not have a sufficient income. My daughter helped him providing her income and credit history so they together bought the house. But here's why I'm mad. In several months or several months later, he wanted to refinance, and the house is now under his name only. Now, he has the house, rents it, and travels. The daughter has nothing mm -hmm. and continues to work very hard every single day. I think that she made a big mistake, Susie, by helping him, but not helping herself. I also think he took advantage of her. Obviously, he did. I do not find I do not find what happened to be fair at all. May I have your opinion? What can we do? Yeah, here's from the, Victoria. So Victoria, but here is the question: Did your daughter just lend her credit history and payments to qualify for the loan? But did she come up with any money to buy the home? And you don't say that's what she did. She only provided her income and credit history. So now Katie's looking at me. So isn't she on the, the No, mortgage? because he refinanced the house, which means he refinanced it in just his name. And most likely... When they originally bought the house, it wouldn't surprise me if the house was also just in his name, even if it was in both of their names. And then he refinanced it, KT, to just his name. The daughter isn't out anything. It's not like she's lost money. She's not legally liable for the mortgage on that home. She really didn't lose anything financially speaking. What she did gain, however, was a serious life experience, my dear Victoria, a big lesson. as well as you. So obviously this boyfriend, and hopefully he's now her ex-boyfriend, <laughs> but, but her That's boyfriend good, obviously used her credit to get this house. Did she not know what his plans were? Did she not understand it? As a loving mother, are you just hurt because you wanted your daughter to own a home? And do you see what I'm saying? And that's not how it turned out. So maybe it was a great lesson and a blessing after all. You know, I have this saying that everything in life happens for the best. And I get especially at times of loss or illness or whatever it may be, that's a really hard thing to grab onto and to believe. But you have to believe that because now maybe she understands the true motives of her boyfriend. And like I said, hopefully it is her ex-boyfriend. <laughs> but that is my opinion. What can you do? Get your daughter to understand that. That's yeah. what you can do. All right. Next, okay, my next dear question Katie. is from Lauren. I'm a fairly new listener. I look forward to your podcast while I'm on my rowing machine or walking. Good for you, Lauren. 
Now, I'm turning 65. My husband is 66. He is still employed full-time, earning $180,000. We have no debt other than a $33,000 mortgage on a $400,000 home. We have $450,000 in retirement accounts and $60,000 in savings. I just recently lost my best friend, Susie. Mm-hmm. Last February, I lost my mother. I miss her terribly. I expect to receive about 175000 in inheritance money. My question is, can we afford to gift some of this to my two daughters? My husband wants to give $10,000 to each child. What would you tell her, KT? No. Oh, <laughs> I so didn't expect you to say that. I wish you could have like, what? Why is that? Well, for two reasons. Number one, they're going to have the money that her mom gifted her or that she's inheriting is meant for her and her husband to be even more secure. The, the children will get money. The, the, these parents are obviously very generous. They'll take care of the kids at the right time. But this is her best friend, her mom's money that she wants her to have. All right. Put so it your towards aunt, your. This should have been your quizzy. All right. So. And, your, and your she didn't answer, want to give it to her. But wait, the husband uh-huh, wants to give it to the kids. Your answer is correct, but your reasoning is not necessarily correct. All right. Well, it's, it doesn't <laughs> what matter. Else my is new? It's wait, like ding, well, we ding, 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 ding. No. <laughs> right. No, my answer. No, ding, ding, yeah, but let me okay. answer right. here, my right. love. Tell otherwise, everything. we're going to be out of time on two questions. Here's the problem you're 65, your husband is 66, still employed, making $180,000 a year. Right? You don't have any other debt other than $33,000 on a $400,000 home. However, you can't count your home because that's where you live. All right, so what do you have? All you have to show, at least what you're telling in this email, to show for all of this work is 450000 in retirement accounts and 60000 in savings. Got that? Now, you're used to living on $180,000 before tax. Once your husband retires and that goes away, there is no way that $450,000 in retirement accounts, and chances are they're pre-taxed retirement accounts, so that when you start to withdraw money out of them, you're going to have to pay taxes on it. So in reality, you're looking at about $225,000 after tax over the long run, and $60,000 in savings. But you've just been given $175,000. You need to keep that money, mama. Because the truth of the matter is, even though these may be daddy's little girls, the truth of the matter is this. You actually don't have enough money to retire, truthfully. Things go wrong, you need long-term care, your expenses go up as you get older, on and on. So no, you are to keep every single penny of that $175,000 and keep it safe. What I would be telling you to do 
versus giving $20,000 away to the kids is I would take $33,000 and I would pay off your mortgage and reduce your expenses and start really saving more and more and more and put money into a Roth retirement account, not a pre-taxed one, or you're going to find yourself possibly as you get older in trouble. I just want to tell you that. That's what I'm telling you now. Totally agree. Make your best friend proud of you, Lauren. (laughs) Okay. Next question is from Susan. My husband's pension has an option for survivorship benefit, Mm -hmm. 25 or 50%, or an opt-out option. We've been advised to opt out and save that extra cost, which is 5 or 10% of monthly benefits. Yes, I'll explain all that. Yes. Based on our present savings amount for retirement, I will also be receiving my own pension from my workplace. I will have my own health insurance, so I will not need to be covered on his. Is this a smart thing to do? So should they opt out or not? Did some financial advisor tell them to do this? I'm just curious. I'm reading the email, everybody. All right. Susan, there's not a lot that I can tell you because I don't have the exact numbers of what we're talking about. However, a lot of times with interest rates as small as they are right now, I have to tell you that I might not opt out of a pension here because your pension, when you actually get benefits, usually pays about a five, six, or seven percent return on this money. Now, what is important is that you're saying that your husband's pension has an option for survivorship of 25 or 50 percent. What that means, everybody, is let's just say Susan's husband was to get a thousand dollars a month. He could get that $1,000 a month every single month, and then when he dies, it's over. Susan would get nothing. Or that $1,000 might be reduced to $800 a month, and then when he dies, if they took the 50% joint and survivor option, then Susan would get $400 a month. The 25% option would be maybe that $1,000 that he would get every month if he had no joint and survivor option might be, let's just say, $900 a month. But when he died, Susan would only get 25% of that. There is another option that most companies, Susan, offer, and that's known as the 100% joint and survivor benefit which means that maybe his $1,000 a month pension would be reduced to $700 a month. And when he dies, you get $700 a month. That is the option you are to take. You are never to take any other option other than the 100% joint and survivor benefit if they offer it. Now, you say based on your present savings amount for retirement, and that you're also going to receive a pension from your workplace, therefore, you need to do the same for your husband, because there's nothing that says a husband always dies before a wife. It doesn't always work that way. Your health insurance really has nothing to do with this, because truthfully, when you retire and you get of age and everything, you're 65, you get Medicare. Mm. And then you can also look Mm -hmm. into, obviously, Medicare supplements, or there's other ways to do it as well. But I'm not worried about your health 
insurance. I'm worried about your ongoing income as time goes on, and I'm just going to spend one more minute on this. Remember, as you get older, normally you sit down with your spouse and you realize, I'm going to get X amount of money in Social Security. He or she's going to get X amount of money in Social Security. You figure out everything else and you go, I can afford it. Everything's great until one of you dies. Because please, everybody, remember that upon death, you will lose one social security check. And that is a big deal. If you also have a pension coming in, and you haven't chosen the 100% joint and survivor benefit, and then your income gets reduced that way as well, you are really going to be in trouble. So again, I like pension options. I like the 100% joint and survivor benefits only. And that's just what I think. So is this a smart thing to do? Do the numbers and you'll know. All right. I have a question. You can ask me anything, my love. When there's two um, social security checks and let's say her husband dies and his was greater, she she can assume his and and forego hers. She has to forego hers. Okay, that's important. So it's just, it's very sad, KT, because people always plan their future on both of them are alive. I have to tell you, when your spouse dies, you think that your expenses are going to go down. They do not. Mm. Your expenses actually increase. And why is that? Because maybe your spouse was the one, like right now, KT, what am I in charge of in the house? Everything. (laughs) (laughs) No, she's in charge of everything that operates in terms of electronics and she does all of the bookings for calendars, travel, all of that. I do all of the domestic uh, side of the house. Right. Now, if I died, KT, you very well might have to hire somebody seriously. Absolutely, because I, I would be lost. All right. Now, that's an additional expense to you. Maybe if I died, <laughs> maybe not, but you would be really lonely and you would want to go out to eat more or you would do all kinds of things. Do you know what I mean? Just to take up time. Maybe you would travel more to go see your sister or your nieces or your nephews, but you know, the car breaks down or something happens. Your expenses just happen to go up. Truthfully, that's just how it is. All right. Okay. Susie, next question. Hey, My husband is on board with your expertise in the financial area. Oh, thank you, husband. Yeah, it's about time. About time. Then (laughs) Kathy is, is, this is from Kathy. She said, I've waited and waited and waited for this moment. (laughs) He does have a question. You notice that he's he's asking her to ask it. We are retired. He is 67. I'm 66. We don't need to tap any retirement accounts yet. But when the time comes and we have to take out RMD, We'll roll RMD over are required minimum, minimum distributions. distributions that if you have a pre-taxed retirement account, like a regular IRA, regular 401k, whatever it is, you have got to start taking money out by the time- 70, you, right? Nope, 72. It oh, used to be 70 and a half. 70. It's now 72. Okay. So See, if you read my ultimate retirement guide for 50 plus, you would know that. I didn't read that page. <laughs> we're rolling but over. you sure heard me read all the other pages well, I to record it yes oh my god that was fun though will rolling over the required percentage of a traditional ira to a roth be considered rmd 
Thank you so very, very much for contributing your wealth of knowledge to all of us who were not schooled in the world of finance. Well, guess what, Kathy? People still aren't schooled in the world of finance. You are not alone, girlfriend. Right, but... All right, so what should she do? So here's what I would tell you, Kathy, and you can tell your husband, I wish I knew his name, this. You, of course, when you take out required minimum distributions, you can do anything you want with that money. You are going to owe income tax on those funds. If at the time you take out the required minimum distributions and you have earned income, because remember for you to make a contribution to a Roth IRA, you have to have earned income for you to be able to contribute to the Roth. And you can either contribute a maximum of $7,000 for 2022 and or whatever amount of money you earned, whichever one is less. So in that year, if all you earned was $3,000, that would be the maximum that you could put in to a Roth IRA. So that's what I would do. Can you do a conversion? And no, it's got to come out of your retirement accounts. Let's say your traditional IRA or your traditional 401k. And then if you have earned income, then you make a contribution to your Roth IRA. All right. Okay, next question is from Prudence. And and this is interesting. She is an HR expert. She's on board. She's an adjunct professor. Very I bright. need you. Wait, this is a very wait, bright woman. Wait, but wait, Prudence, listen. if you're on HR boards, you have got to look into Our Secure a, a new Save. company that I co-founded yeah. about a year ago called Secure Save. So go to securesave.com and look at what I've done. I think it's the most brilliant thing that I've ever helped to create in the entire 40 years that I have been doing this. So go there and look at it. Briefly, it is the very first employer-sponsored emergency fund for employees. Fab- I'm telling you, it's so fabulous, I can't even stand it. All right, go on. So here's the question. Prudence said, Susie, you mentioned recently that you buy when the market is up. I have actually been buying ETFs and crypto when the market price drops. Yeah. Can you please explain why it is better to buy when the market is up? You need to everybody listen to this answer because Prudence got this wrong. No, and Prudence heard what I said. She was right, KT, but not with the complete understanding of what I meant. Okay, that's what I mean. Listen to this answer really carefully. Prudence, there's no way for you to know, is something going to go down? And is it going to go down and then turn around and go back up? Back in 1999 and early on when network, you know, internet stocks and all of these things, they kept going down. A stock would go from 120 to 90 and everybody would say, oh my God, I have to buy. And then it would go back down to 45 and people would load up again. Then it would go to 30, 15, and then possibly totally off the charts. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't buy something that you love, that you know is really good quality when it goes down. But when something starts to go up and you really like it, 
you know, like, like Zoom. Zoom was the stock that I really liked when it first came out. And so maybe it went from where I first started to buy it from 80 to 100. And as it went up, I continued to buy it because I liked it. I wasn't just going to wait till it went down. So depending on the stocks that you're looking at, you have to make that decision. Like There is one stock right now, and I won't say the name of it because I own quite a bit of it, but it went all the way up to $400 a share, and I was buying it all the way up from when it first came out at about 50 Hmm. And I think that this is a stock that in the long run is going to go way up and is here for the long run. But then it went from 400 back down to 350, down to 245. Now I'm buying more at 245 because I like this stock. Now today it's all the way down at 190. Do I have this stock too? No. Oh, good. <laughs> One day you're going to wish you had, right? <laughs> but the point of that is, so will I buy more now? I will. If it goes down to 150, I will buy more again because I really know that this stock is solid, solid, and that it will continue. It will turn around and go way back up again. There were stocks like Facebook, KT, when it first came out that went from 48 when it came out, went all the way down to 18. We bought it all the way down, and then it started to go up, and we bought it going up and up and up. And then when I had accumulated enough shares of what I wanted for both of us, I didn't buy it anymore. And so does that make sense to you now, Prudence, in that you can do both, but you just don't wait till it goes down. If it's a fabulous company, you know, then you also buy it when it's going up. You know, you get on the train rather than stand in front of it. <laughs> oh, that's a good analogy. Yeah. All right, next question is from Lobel. Hi, I'm happily saving in the Alliant Ultimate Savings Account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's her question. Is the 0.55% interest only for the 12 months or will this continue oh. forever? If not, what is the standard rate after 12 months? Well, of course it's going to, what, Susie? Right. So, Lobel, obviously there's no way to know for sure what happens with interest rates and what Alliant Credit Union will offer. However, I doubt highly, given that interest rates are probably going to start to go up, given what you know the environment is right now and that they're going to loosen things up with the stimuluses and things like that. I think chances are, I don't know when, but in the long run, you may get more than 0.55%. But I doubt highly that at this point in time that it's going to go lower than that. So Alliant Credit Union is always going to give you as much as they possibly can because they have a reputation of giving one of the highest interest rates out there, and they don't want to lose that. So that's what I think. KT, I just, before we go on, I have now spoken to Jonathan and Amicio, two of our sweepstakes winners. winners, and I have to tell you, they are the sweetest. Jonathan, you are so sweet, I can't even stand it. And Amicio, so fabulous, and I love speaking to both of you. And I know you listen every single week. So I just want you to know I'm so happy that you won. And, 
you know, I'm still waiting. I made calls to Donna as well as Alfred who won and they want to speak, but they haven't returned any response to me. So, okay, not my problem. All right. Next question is from Kevin. Longtime fan of yours, Susie. I was committed. I was a committed viewer to your show on CNBC, and now I enjoy the podcast. I'm writing with a question about my inherited IRA, which was $32,000. I'm currently in a low tax bracket, but will increase substantially after I finish my training as a physician in a year. Would you recommend taking as much out of this account now in order to pay a lower tax rate on the income? Those dollars would go into my annual Roth IRA contribution and a private investment account since I've already maxed my employer IRA contributions. I would obviously make sure my income didn't exceed my current tax bracket I by doing this. All right. So here's so what I will tell you, my dear Kevin, which is, Kevin. here's what's great about where we are this time of year. Now, you didn't give me your age, but I'm sure it's under 50 since you're still studying and working to become a physician, a doctor. How does that sound, Dr. Kevin? Yeah, I like that. And, and so... You not only, if you took some money out, that you could fund $6,000 for this year into your contributory Roth and $6,000 immediately for next year. The other thing that you could do is therefore also split your withdrawal. So before the end of this year, I would take out $16,000 from your inherited IRA this year. Come January 1st, take out another $16,000. So now you've split the income on that money rather than taking it all out, let's say $32,000 at once, which could possibly increase your income tax bracket. We're at the end of the year. Take out $16,000 immediately, January 1st, take out another $16,000, and there you go. And then you do whatever you want with that money. Absolutely. Also, you said in here that you've already maxed out your employer's IRA contribution. So I think you obviously mean you maxed out your employer's 401k contribution. And I just hope that if you have a 401k with your employer, that it is a Roth 401k, not a traditional one. Next, KT. So, Susie, this next question is a great one from Alex. Since it's after November 1st, as you suggested, Susie, my wife and I just bought Series I bonds at $10,000 each. Yeah, baby, yeah, baby. Awesome suggestion. (laughs) Thanks, and Yahoo. Anyway, here's what he writes. Since it looks like you can only do this once each calendar year, can I assume that we can buy it again as of January 1st, 2022, and lock in another 20K, totally working at the 7.12% rate until April 2022? Or do they mean you have to wait 12 months? There you go. What would you answer, Katie? Let's say this was your quizzy. Let's say go for it, boyfriend. By January. What a great yes. way to start the new year. Buy them again. So it's once every annual year. 
So yes, that's what that means. So starting next year again in January, you can buy $20,000 more or $10,000 each. Yeah. Also, you do know, KT, that if you're getting a tax refund, besides the $10,000 that you buy each, you can also buy another $5,000 worth with a tax refund and get paper bonds, Mm -hmm. series I bonds. So you're allowed so you're allowed to exceed the 10,000 limit if you use a tax if, refund money. That, you got it. But does it have to be 5,000? It no, anything or up, any any amount up, up to, to 5,000. Oh, that's a good people shouldn't get a tax refund. When's the last time we ever got a tax refund? <laughs> I never do. And do you? No, but the question, what do you mean do I? We filed jointly. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Oh my god. Are you ready for your quizzy? I am. Everybody, that's quizzy time, which means I'm going to ask KT and all of you a question, because I want you to start thinking about that you're an advisor, somebody comes to you, and even if it's a family member, and sometimes you have to know how to answer their questions, so that's what we're trying to do in educating all of you. Mm-hmm. All right, so this is from a Kathy, spelt with a C, mm-hmm. all right. Love you and your podcast. Thanks, girlfriend. I'm about 49 years old, and I'm going to move to Seattle soon. Eventually, I would need a car. I'm planning on getting a new car and spending about twenty-five dollars to $30,000. I don't know much about cars and feel more comfortable buying new than used. Okay. Besides, the market for used cards right now is not good for the buyer. This is what I have in my account. So listen closely, everybody. In her emergency fund, KT, she has $40,000. In her brokerage account, invested in index funds, she has $35,000. In her Roth IRA, she has invested $40,000. In her traditional IRA, invested in index funds, she has $28,000. And her 401k, she has $55,000. Here is the question, everybody. Which account should I use for the down payment of the car? I'm thinking about taking out $10,000, maybe more. I'm a bit hesitant to pay the car all off in cash because I like having my money invested and growing and I need to save as much as I can for retirement. My income is enough that I can make $500 in monthly car payments and still put away $500 a month in my retirement accounts. Thus, I could pay off the car in three years. What do you think? Where should she get that $10,000 from, KT? Her emergency fund, her brokerage account, her Roth IRA, her traditional IRA, or her 401k? (laughs) I thought she was going to say, should she buy a new or used car? No. I didn't know you were going to ask me that complicated question. that is the problem with our relationship. You always think I know what I'm going to ask, not that we have problems with our relationship. Um, but it is true, Take everybody. it out of your emergency fund. Are you serious? Yeah. That's your answer? 10000 out of the emergency fund. You know why? These are all locked in. You always say don't touch your your um, retirement accounts, although you can take a loan out of it, but you have to pay them back. 
I would take it out of the emergency fund, $10,000. All right, final answer? Yeah. What's all your answers? Do you think she, Do you think KT is right? Ding, 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 oh, ding, ding. Oh, see? Yes. I knew that. You, you always say, don't take it out. These are all locked in accounts and the emergency fund, she can keep putting that extra all right, $500. Wait, wait, stop being an advisor here since you're not correct. All right. All right, so... You are right with the $10,000 from the emergency fund. However, from her brokerage account, the reason that you would not want her to take any money out there is that if she sells, especially since she's in index funds, KT, Mm -hmm. which just this last year, they're up 20%. Good. Okay. She would owe income tax on that money. So why do that? In a Roth IRA, however, she could take out any amount of money without taxes or penalties, regardless of her age, up to the amount that she originally contributed. So she currently has $40,000 in there. So she obviously could take out $10,000 and not have to pay any taxes or penalties on it whatsoever. Her traditional IRA, she cannot touch in any way before the age of 59 and a half. And her 401k, she could take a loan from her 401k. But pay it back. But you're taking money that you've never paid taxes on. You're now taking a loan from it. If you lose your job or something happens, you're going to owe a 10% penalty plus taxes on that money kind of again. So no. So absolutely, the $10,000 comes from your emergency fund and... Just in case you get in trouble, remember, you can take out your up to your original contributions from your Roth IRA without any taxes or penalties whatsoever. All right, KT, that puts us at the end of this. Do you, would you advise, because um, she said she can pay it off in three years, and it makes her feel happy to still save money and not use... Yeah, what's your question? So the question is, Would she be better off just buying that car outright? No, because it wouldn't make her feel secure. The good thing is, Kathy, you've obviously listened to me before in the past because you are never, ever, ever to finance a car for longer than three three years. years. If you have to finance a car for longer than three years in order to afford the monthly payments... I'm telling you, you are so denied because you are buying a car that you cannot afford. All right, Miss Travis, that's a wrap for another Ask Susie Ann. KT, anything time after time. time. Oh, God, I should put on. We have to tell them, we have to wait and have Colo sing it with me. Colo and I have been building a new garden here on the island, everyone. And. We sing this song together, Cindy Lauper's old song, time after time. And he's got the worst voice, and so do I. And Susie came out, and we're at the top of our lungs screaming this song. And she couldn't believe it. She said, what are you doing? <laughs> and then what did I do? She sang along with us. Absolutely. So time after time, I hope all of you continue to listen to the Women in Money podcast. Um, we do it with a lot of love and a lot of joy. And hopefully you're learning everything that you need to know about your own personal financial situation. So until Sunday, we all want you to remain safe, strong, and most of all, secure. secure. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Talk to you on Sunday. Bye-bye.
Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman is acting as a certified financial planner, advisor, a certified financial analyst, an economist, CPA, accountant, or lawyer. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman make any recommendations as to any specific securities or investments. All content contained in this podcast is for informational and general purposes only and does not constitute financial accounting or legal advice. You should consult your own tax, legal, and financial advisors regarding your particular situation. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman accepts any responsibility for any losses which may arise from accessing or reliance on information in this podcast. And to the fullest extent permitted by law, we exclude all liability for loss, damages, direct or indirect, arising from the use of this information. The must-have documents discussed in this podcast are legal documents created by a lawyer and distributed by Hay House.